Hello there, welcome to episode 13 of Can I Borrow Your Mind? I'm Lewis Garnham. I'm very pleased to be uh, speaking with you. Sometimes when you do these intros, you think, my voice sounds a bit funny today. On my S's, <laughs> I feel like I'm, I've got a bit of a lisp today, which is, it's cool. It's good, good to just have little, little fluctuations in the way your voice sounds day by day. Um, so that's cool. My guest this week is Catherine Greenaway. She's a senior lecturer at the University of Melbourne in social psychology. So already, like, I will talk a little bit more about her, but that's already for me. I'm like, fuck, that's so interesting. And um, I've wanted to talk to a social psychologist on this podcast. I've, I've been, always been thinking that would be a cool guest to have on um, and her name cropped up in a few articles that I read about COVID and I could tell that um, she had really interesting insightful opinions so I, I googled her and found out more about her research and found it really fascinating and, and we, we get into some fascinating areas in this conversation um, she sort of focuses her research focuses on three areas uh, emotions agency and identity and I think that some of the things that she's sort of discovered about those areas are probably contrary to what most people would believe um she's yeah she's done really interesting work into secrets and why humans keep secrets agency the lengths that humans will go to to maintain a sort of perceived control of their lives that's that's in her words that's um i reckon that's so fascinating and identity the importance of belonging to certain groups and and what that does in terms of impacting our mental health in this podcast we talked about some really interesting stuff but also the thing i didn't expect from it was that i actually learned a lot from her that i'm now going to apply to my own mental health um so it was really fascinating, but then also there were lots of moments where I was like, fuck, that's so true. I should think about things like that more, and I'm sure it'll make me a happier person. So I think you, um, you'll um, you probably have a similar experience. You'll probably gain a lot from this podcast, and it'll help you in your life, which is a very cool thing. One um, caveat, <laughs> this is the bad news. That's all the good news. That was all sweet. That all sounds great. Um, <laughs> I... Um, had issues I, I was recording it through zoom and it dropped out and then I got it back up and I missed a big chunk of our conversation this is there's no there's no good way to put this I'm very sorry um I was gonna lie about this at the start of the podcast and just be like yeah you know we just jumped straight into this topic but it's uh, I, that's stupid to lie there there was a there was a decent amount of conversation with Katie that I lost because I'm a fucking idiot and if she is listening to this right now I I sincerely apologize for wasting 20 minutes of your time I got the last 25 minutes or so of our conversation and it's still amazing it's a real shame because all of it was amazing but at least I got half of it and I think that half is is very valuable so enjoy it and I'll try my best to get Katie on for another episode because yeah it was a real shame losing that and I think her her um opinions and and her and her not just opinions but her research is so insightful and interesting so here we go without further ado I'm I'm gonna get into the podcast if you 
want to see me do comedy um i'm going to be doing some comedy soon i'll post all about it on my instagram you can follow me at louis garnham l-e-w-y-g-a-r-n-h-a-m you probably already know how to spell my last name if you've found my podcast um and check out more of katie's work like check out her work you can find her at katherinegreenaway.com a lot of her stuff is on there and more info about her that's Catherine with a k and an a in the the two spots where those letters could or could not be used like you figure it out a k and an a in the two spots where it's sometimes different um there's a lot of ways to spell Catherine. anyway (laughs) um subscribe to this podcast if you enjoy it that would be fantastic that'd be a cool thing for you to do and give it a rating that all that stuff really helps um it yeah would mean a lot to me share it around as well if you like that would be fantastic i recorded this podcast on the lands of the kulin nation and i would like to pay my respects to the wurundjeri people and the bunurong people their elders past present and emerging And I'd like to say that sovereignty was never ceded in Australia where I recorded this podcast. Um, Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoy it. This is episode 13, I believe, episode 13 of Can I Borrow Your Mind with Lewis Garnham and this week's guest, social, social psychologist, Catherine Greenaway. Cheers. I don't know, uh, like a baker or something, like unless you choose to think of it um, that way. So losing group memberships or losing that part of your identity can be really problematic for people's uh, mental and physical health. And one one thing that I would say is um, not not to turn this into a, a clinical psychology session, which I, I definitely am not um, qualified to do. But if you if you think about these kinds of things as being um, temporary or as being, you know, I'm not doing it right now, but I'm getting back to it when I can, then it feels like a bit more of a, a hiatus rather than, well, I've lost this sense of, you know, who I am. Or you can still think about yourself in that way, even though you're not doing the activity that brings you joy, maybe feeling as though that's part of who you are and connecting with other people um, in the stand-up community even if you're not um, delivering stand-up comedy, is is still a good way to kind of feel like that's still a part of who you are and important to you. But it is a really unique situation where the performance is so much a part of that that personality and 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 how you see yourself. So I can definitely see how that would be yeah. troubling and hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, um, I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm worried about taking up too much of your time, but, um, I really want to talk to you about your research into agency as well. Um, I, I read a little bit and I find it so interesting. Um, can you just maybe describe that a little bit to me, the work that you've done on human agency? Sure. Yeah. Well, um, I'm, there's this phrase in in psychology well probably broader than that it's called research is me search the idea is you study things about yourself um that you want to know more about or find relevant for you know your own self so the joke about social psychologists is that we all study 
like social relationships because we don't know how to like uh, properly interact with people and we're all sort of vaguely socially awkward. Um, in <laughs> That's the case very of, similar to comedy, I would say. Oh, yeah. Like yeah, we right. observe social situations and then comment on them on stage because we don't know how to take part in them because we're awkward. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Total research is me search moment. Yeah. Um, and, and in the case of uh, control or sense of agency, um, I, I feel like the natural parallel there is like I'm probably a control freak and I love control. So I want to study what happens when people don't have control over their environments or over their uh, lives, you know, the direction that their life is taking, that sort of thing. And it turns out, um, you know, I'm not alone in this, but people in general just freak the fuck out when they don't have um, control over their lives or over their environment or the, the things that they want to achieve. When I feel like my behavior isn't um, resulting in any tangible outcome that I really want to see that kind of messes with people and and we don't tend to like it very much. And, um, you know, some of the work that I've done on this has has looked at a variety of ways that we might try and reestablish a sense of control. So if I feel like my life isn't going the way that I want and no matter what I do, I can't seem to get the outcomes that I, I really uh, want to see, then, you know, some of the things that people do is um, lash out at others. They become more aggressive, both kind of interpersonally, but also on the group level. So when people lack control personally, um, they tend to uh, uh, become more prejudiced towards people from other groups. Not always, of course, but this is a kind of on average um, uh, thing so that's that also goes for times in history when things are more um, uh, tumultuous or uncertain. I think COVID is a great example of this. Like we have seen um, a rise in feelings of um, intergroup prejudice. You know, Trump calling COVID the Chinese virus and and these kinds of examples because people don't feel control themselves. They want to lash out and blame someone else or react um, negatively towards them. But another way that we respond is to really try and see or find patterns in everyday life or or we try and latch onto control in other sorts of domains. So we might, for example, um, see the rise of conspiracy thinking and conspiracy beliefs um, in times when people feel threatened or like they don't have much control. And I think, you know, we've seen a lot of that um, in recent times with COVID Um, and uh, the sort of conspiracy beliefs around, you know, it is or isn't a hoax and, you know, 5G networks spreading it and and these kinds of things. And that's in some ways a natural reaction that people have to not being able to control their world because they want to feel like they understand something in some other domain, but it can obviously have some pretty uh, negative consequences for people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, When when uh, i find it interesting do you i don't know if you would have an opinion on this but um to link that sort of to obviously these are very tumultuous times because of covid but um i think that like climate change is is going to be or maybe has already begun to be an an equally or more so tumultuous time um do you see humans 
do you think that'll be a, a, an interesting moment in terms of humans trying to gain perceived control over their lives? Because I feel like it'll be such a wide scale thing that so many people will lose control all at once or, or quite quickly. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have any yeah. opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's already happening, right? Climate change is one of the massive threats of our time. Someone told me recently that, um, you know, there's these people who are in charge of monitoring, like, the doomsday clock, like how close the world is to nuclear annihilation. And I was told that they're monitoring two other massive world threats as well. One is AI, interestingly. Um, but the other is climate change because, of course, it's happening, it's real, and, frankly, our response collectively as a globe at the moment isn't up to scratch. It's just going to um, get a lot um, worse. And so people are going to feel that not only the kind of existential threat of feeling like there's this impending doom for humanity. Now, I'm the pessimist um, in this conversation but also feel it um, okay. on a personal That's level fine. where um, there's all sorts of ramifications of climate change that um, go far beyond the just environmental um, impacts. But, you know, there's going to be economic fallout. People are going to lose their jobs um, as a result of this. There's psychological fallout, um, massive rises in, in um, anxiety. We're already seeing the emergence of this phenomenon of eco-anxiety. Yeah, I think I've got anxiety that. Anxiety felt about, yeah, impending environmental destruction. Mm. So that, I think, certainly is going to be um, a massive challenge coming up and people's ability to deal with that threat is really going to depend on, um, you know, how much we feel like we can do to change it. Yeah, totally. Um, I, yeah, that's, that's beautifully said. Can, can I ask you, I, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your work into positive emotions and emotions in general, but then I also wanted to ask you about secrets. Um, and I don't know, let, can we do the secret thing first? Actually, I find this really interesting. Can you tell me? Sure. Why? Everyone does. Secrets are yeah. They're really fascinating. Why do we keep secrets and what sort of secrets do we keep? Yeah, it's so it, it, it's an interesting question. Like, why would we keep secrets? And if you think about um, humans and what we're like, we're super social creatures. We need other people. We tend to like other people and being around others. And we're really good at communicating, not only verbally, but also non-verbally. You know, we've sort of evolved in this way that's made it possible for us to communicate effectively with one another so under that sort of perspective if it's so important for our survival that we're able to um you know share with others then why would we ever keep secrets in the first place mm. and there are a number of reasons that that people tend to keep secrets this isn't an exhaustive list but in some research we've done we've looked at these reasons and they tend to be quite social reasons as you would expect so people want to maintain social harmony or like not rock the boat um and in a way that they think would hurt other people's feelings or or have negative ramifications for their social relationships um, they keep it for belongingness reasons they're afraid of being excluded by others if they um, reveal something about themselves that others um, you know wouldn't approve of and reputational concerns so um, I, I don't want people to know something about me that would make them 
think less of me or that would make me seem, um, you know, problematic in some other people's eyes. Um, and what we tend to keep secret is, is, you know, really quite broad, as you can imagine, I'm sure. Um, but some work that a collaborator of mine, Michael Slepian, he's based at Columbia Business School in the U.S., um, he's developed what's called the Common Secrets Questionnaire, which um, identifies 38 of the most common things that people keep secrets and keep secret. And if um, folks are interested, they can go to keepingsecrets.org and take the Common Secrets Questionnaire and it'll uh, show you how many secrets you're keeping and, and how common those secrets are um, by a particular gender category and um, age category as well. Oh, that's and these so things, cool. You know, yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. So I I tend to mentally class these as falling into three categories of secret. There are secrets um, that involve other people or about other people. So prototypically, um, you know, infidelity or, or cheating on someone or even being the person that another person is cheating on their partner with. Um, there are secrets that are, this is the most common category, uh, overarching category of secrets, secrets that are about something personal about ourselves. So, um, you know, uh, sexual behavior that we um, keep secret or um, maybe, you know, financial difficulties that we uh, might have, uh, things that concern um, ourselves and things that we don't want other people to know about ourselves. And then there's this really interesting but very small category of secrets, which are positive secrets. So these are things that are, um, you know, surprise parties or um, proposals that are coming up that we want to keep from others or even sometimes, you know, ambitions or, or positive plans that we have that we're not ready to let other people in on um, yet. So those tend to be the, the categories of things that we keep secret from other people. It's really interesting. Do you think that, um, so is there in, in the questionnaire and stuff, is, is there a difference? Um, is it, does there sense, seem to be trends in gender and age as to like you know men of this age generally keep secrets about this women of this age keep secrets about this is there a difference between the two genders in what people keep secret uh not really um there there are certain secrets that are um, relatively gender specific so abortion for example is one secret in the common secrets questionnaire that will um, tend to be more common among uh, women than men but by and large there's really massive variation um, within genders uh, less so between genders in what people um, tend to keep secret same with age um, range as well there are certain secrets that might be more common among older folks just by virtue of um, the the state of um, their lives maybe they tend to have more um, financial difficulties than much younger people um, but really by and large these secrets tend to be relatively common across um, a variety of different people what does seem to matter is how significant or important that secret feels to you that's what really drives um, the effect of secrecy on well-being so generally speaking there tends to be this relationship where the more you keep secrets the worse your well-being that's not true in all cases and there's also a variety of different reasons for why secrets you know may improve your well-being under certain circumstances i'm not saying never keep secrets because there are often very good reasons why people do but uh speaking generally secrecy does seem to have a negative impact on um well-being right. and it's not the case that some secrets have this worse impact some secrets are just worse 
for you. Um, it seems to be more of a case that the stronger you feel about the secret and the more significant that is for your life, the worse of an impact it tends to have on your it, it, well-being. Sorry, is that because you're like the more you care about it, the more stressed you are about it somehow coming out? Is that why it has a negative impact or... Yeah, so so what Michael Slepian's work on this suggests is actually something quite interesting. So the way that researchers um, tended to con- think about secrecy was in terms of concealment. So secrecy is taxing and, and bad for us because we have to monitor what we're saying in conversations. I have to think to myself, you know, um, Lewis doesn't know a certain piece of information and I can't let him know that during the course of our interaction. Um, it's actually not the case that concealing secrets is particularly bad for our well-being, although it can have a negative effect. But what we do a lot more than conceal our secrets is just simply think about our secrets outside of um, opportunities we have to interact with someone and conceal it from them. So it's actually being alone with our thoughts about secrets that seem to be uh, particularly problematic for well-being. The reason being that I might be um, ruminating about or perseverating on um, pieces of information related to the secret or the secret's impact um, on me or what the secret means about me or how other people might react to the secret if they were to find out. And so it's actually the the process of cutting ourselves off from other people that makes secrecy um, problematic. Whereas if we um, can interrupt that cycle of simply thinking about our secrets and and ruminating about them, then it seems to be much better for us. Um, And that can either happen by sharing the secret with um, someone else or through um, some other process that we can uh, do to interrupt that cycle of negative thoughts about um, the secret. That is, you've just struck a chord with me with that (laughs) i hope that like strikes a chord with everyone because that is so much what i do i like dwell on things like or you know yeah right before i go to bed i just i can't get it out of my head and yeah that's definitely the negative part of it that's the most negative thing about it i I, like make my brain go around in circles like turning this secret over and it's it's a horrible feeling and I think that's true. You know, that's that's not unique to secrecy, right? Ruminating um, about things that are relevant to our emotions tends to be uh, relatively bad for us. Um, it's associated with um, greater feelings of depression and anxiety. So being able to, um, unable to decouple from this sort of thought process that's getting out of your um, control tends to be... Um, relatively problematic for us. But there are a couple of ways that we can deal with our emotions that are a little bit more um, adaptive by and large and can help us process those um, emotional experiences in a slightly more um, beneficial way. One of them is called um, cognitive reappraisal, um, which anyone who's done some cognitive behavioral therapy um, will be familiar with. This is just changing the way that you're thinking about a situation. So if something's um, bothering you, you might um, turn it around and look for a silver lining in the thing that's happening or uh, try to tell yourself, okay, well, it's bad now, but it's not always going to uh, be this way. Or you might try and take yourself out of the equation and and think about the situation as though it were happening to someone else and what advice you would give the person um, who was going through that, you know, taking yourself um, out of the picture. 
Another strategy that has been shown to be really effective for dealing with um, emotions is um, what's called acceptance. This is a component of mindfulness. So noticing the way that you're feeling and accepting that as normal and understandable given the circumstances and not putting pressure on yourself to feel a different way or to think a different way, just noticing the thoughts and feelings that come to you in the moment and letting them sort of drift by as though you were sort of sitting in a stream and and the water was going past you. Mm. So taking the pressure off us to feel a certain way can sometimes, you know, sort of ironically uh, make us feel better, even though we're not actively trying to change our emotional state in any way. Yeah. And you know, when, um, you know, when you, you talk to someone about your emotional state and they, they try to make you feel better or they say like, yeah, but at least like this. And sometimes that makes you feel worse. Do, do you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Well, this is a, a you know, a thing that I, I feel like we should, we should learn in school is like, how do you provide someone with social support in hard times? Yeah. And what the research suggests is um, that kind of reframing um, is, is not um, necessarily the best when it comes from someone else. What is really um, important when someone's going through a hard time and they come to you with a, a problem is to validate their feelings and to say, look, that sounds really hard and it sounds like you're going through a really tough time. And after you've validated um, their feelings and their emotional state, then um, shifting to this kind of reframing or problem-focused approach to the problem. Because often when people come to us with issues, our instinct is to like help them try and solve the problem. But that comes across as, as being sort of, you know, dismissive to the person who's going through the process, or they might think to themselves, like, I just wanted a sympathetic ear. I wanted to talk to someone about my problem. I didn't want them to go ahead and solve it for me. So it's best to use these two strategies in combination, but not kind of one uh, in front of, well, one in front of the other, but validate first, reframe second is is the order it should be, not reframe, then validate. That's really cool. That's such a, I'm so glad that we got onto this subject because that's such helpful um, information for people. I'm so glad that I got to hear that as well. Um, I, I just ask you one more little thing about secrets and then, and then I'll wrap up. I know you're very busy. Um, thank you so much for giving me all this time. I, this is a hard one to answer, but um, with secrets, do, do, we, do we innately tell secrets? Like, is that, or is it something we learn? And if so, why does everyone learn it? Or is it just a thing that's, I mean, it's hard because then it's, we might get into a broad discussion about nature versus nurture, which is like, you know, a big, hard conversation, but yeah. Do we tell secrets from the moment we start talking or do we learn it? I mean, Uh, sorry, not tell secrets, keep secrets. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, first things first, I would say, I wouldn't think of it as nature versus nurture, but nature and nurture, they're both really important impacts on, you know, how we develop and and change over time. So it's definitely not a question of either or. Um, What what the research suggests is, um, you know, we we don't keep secrets um, from the womb and there's a very good reason for this. One is that we we don't actually um, start keeping secrets until we're able to understand that our emotional experience or or our you know intellectual experience is different from other people's so you know you might have heard 
Despre's theory of mind, the idea that we can we can imagine or know that other people think and feel differently than than we do. And that's a, a part of um, human development that doesn't occur until about four or five years old. Maybe it's three or four. Around that sort of period, we start to be able to understand that other people have a different internal experience than we do. So it's not until we have that understanding that we can keep secrets because secrets are um, knowing that you know something and someone else doesn't know something and trying to actively um, stop them from finding out that piece of information. Um, what research suggests is that secrecy starts to become more common um, as people go through adolescence. And one theory has it that secrets are important for identity development um, and distinction. So it's around the time that um, children want to uh, start pulling away from or seeing themselves as different from their parents. And so uh, there seems to be this spike in um, secrecy around adolescence as kids are sort of thinking to themselves, well, I know something and my parents don't. And that's a, a sort of a part of um, distinguishing themselves from the family unit. That's what one sort of approach um, tends to have it as and, and why we might begin to keep secrets in the first place. Um, but then there's a lot of individual differences. Some people tend to be oriented towards keeping secrets more than others. They um, just are, are less um, uh, open in general with their thoughts and, and feelings with other people. Some people have a greater propensity towards self-disclosure and telling you things about themselves. That tends to go hand in hand with um, personality traits like extroversion, for example, Extroverts are, are often quite happy to talk about themselves and mm. um, you know, things that go on in their heads that maybe people who are more introverted um, don't feel. So there's a variety of you know, reasons why we develop secrecy or the capacity for secrecy, but then um, there's a lot of other reasons for why we might keep secrets more or less um, over time and um, why some people might do that more than others. Very interesting. I've always thought of myself as an introvert, but I definitely am a pretty open book when it comes to revealing my secrets. So maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm more extroverted than I, I thought. Well, there I would say, yeah, absolutely. It's not a one-to-one -one, uh, link here no. at all. Um, so it's not the case that, you know, all introverts are going to keep secrets and, and no extroverts are going to keep secrets. So right. there's a lot of variation um, across people. I wouldn't see secrecy as a defining feature of being introverted or extroverted. Right, right, right. Ah, this has been such a fascinating conversation. I, um, yeah, I've loved it so much. Thank you so much. Do you have an artist that you would be able to recommend to the listeners? I do. Yeah. And this one I should, um, it should come with a disclosure um, of my own, um, which is that uh, uh, one of our lab members, so I head up the Functions of Emotion in Everyday Life um, uh, lab at the University of Melbourne, and one of our lab members is um, a member of this amazing band that I definitely recommend people check out. It's cool. called Woman, uh, spelt W-M-N. And it's a collection of um, four artists who have really interesting and, and unique and different um, takes on 
uh, music themselves. And so they have a really broad range of um, musical styles from kind of influences around um, R&B through to spoken words and just lots of really gorgeous harmonizing um, vocals. So I really recommend folks um, check them out if they're interested. They sound WMN. WMN. I'll put them in the description on the podcast. That's such a cool recommendation. Thanks, Katie. That's great. Um, I'll let you go. Thank you so much for talking to me. This has been like really um, intrigued. I've learned a lot. Hey, at some point in the future, I feel like I have (laughs) heaps more stuff I want to ask you. At some point in the future, could I get you on for a part two or something? Sure. Yeah. No problem. Part two of why people are cool and weird. Yeah, exactly. I love it. (laughs) Um, Have a good one, Katie. Thank you so much for joining me. No probs. Thank you. See ya. Bye.